This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Champs, and welcome to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts Podcast. My name is Ben Burnett. I am your host. Joining me, as always, Louis Ezekiel, and the E is for ecstatic about Dominic Kubalik. Am I right? Oh, yeah. I'm absolutely loving it. And, uh, you know, as long as we're talking about our waiver wire super friends that we're enjoying, how about your boy Blake Coleman going off for Hattie on Tuesday night? Yeah, it's a good night to be a uh, Coleman and Kubalik owner. You know, Coleman is doing Coleman things. He is basically carrying the offense for New Jersey. No, they weren't able to win, but uh, obviously he had an excellent night for himself. And then about halfway through this Chicago-Ottawa game with Chicago down 2 to nothing, uh, Coach reunited the Taves-Kane-Kubalik line, uh, and they made some magic. Kubalik with two goals and Taves with the overtime winner. That game just wrapped as we are recording here on Tuesday night. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, I think the exciting thing there is just knowing that Kubalik is back playing with uh, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, despite the uh, the disappointment that we had when we saw that those lines had been shifted up in the last practice. It seems like Chicago's coach recognized pretty quick that if he wanted to get back into this game, he needed to put that line back together and let them work their magic, and they were rewarded with a win in overtime. Yeah, I think as long as that Kane, Taves, and Kubalik line is together, they're must at, or Kubalik is a must own. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, he's starting to get picked up in more and more leagues. I was able to get him last week for nothing. Uh, I imagine that tomorrow, if you're in a league that requires free agent auction bidding, uh, it might cost you a few dollars to be able to pick him up. So get on that waiver wire and check him out if he's still available. Absolutely. Let's get right into another guy who's a must-own, although he's not someone who's going to be available on your waiver wire. He may be in your IR spot, and I hope you didn't leave him in tonight. Sidney Crosby is back for the Pittsburgh Penguins, finally, after nearly 30 games on the bench. Yeah, so Crosby made his return on Tuesday night after missing 28 games for a core muscle surgery. Sounds pretty unpleasant. Uh, he came right back and centered Dominique Simone and Jared McCann at even strength and returned to his usual spot on the first power play. Uh, there was some speculation that Brian Rusk might not hold his top power play spot, but he was able to keep it to the first power play unit looked like Rust, Crosby, Hornquist, Malkin, and Latang. Uh, they obviously had a hugely successful night uh, with a 7-3 to victory. Uh, and Crosby was outstanding. A goal and three assists. He's on my opponent's team this week. I can't even be mad. Happy to see Crosby back in action. 
This is great news for the top six in Pittsburgh. Uh, they get an improved center or better matchup opportunities. Great for Jari and Murray to a lesser extent, who are going to get better puck control and more goals. You know, and it's a chance for Evgeny Malkin to kind of uh, maybe relax from his Hercules act, although he was very active uh, during the game tonight. But uh, we've seen over the past several seasons, whenever Crosby is out, Malkin usually goes ham and ham he went. Uh, we'll see if he cools off a little bit here, but you got to think that having Crosby back in that top six, you know, uh, other than sort of the psychological impact, it's got to be mostly good for him. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I, I kind of want to call that Malkin-Russ line, line one, uh, while Dominic Cahoon remains on that line. Interestingly, I think for those who streamed him in towards the end of last week, uh, the McCann-Crosby-Simone line is okay. I'm I'm cool with uh, rostering Jared McCann on, the, on Crosby's wing. Definitely a little disappointed as a Patrick Hornquist owner to see him all the way down on line three with Galchenyuk and Agazino. But nice, at least, that he was able to keep that top power play spot. Yeah, for sure. He And he did register an assist in tonight's game after scoring a power play goal in the previous game. He's on one of those patented Patrick Hornquist uh, hot streaks right now. It's it's tough to complain as a Hornquist owner, but you know, you'd like to see him on Crosby's wing instead of playing with a couple of guys who are struggling to do anything at all at even strength. Absolutely. That was not our only big outchery this evening here on Tuesday. Uh, Jonathan Marchessault returned to the lineup for Vegas. Not the return that Crosby experienced. Vegas fell to the Sabres 4-2. to two. Uh, But, you know, Marchessault was out for five games with this mysterious lower body ailment. Uh, the Vegas offense has not been especially effective now in the last four games, with three goals being their best output there. Uh, hopefully, Marcheseau moving forward can give them a little bit more of a spark. Like with Crosby, Marcheseau's return is going to be a boon to the top six. Uh, it does push Alex Tuck back down to the third line. Last time Tuck made his way into the top six, he was a must-own off the waiver wire with his offensive production. Not so much this time around. He was not able to be the offensive juggernaut he was earlier in the year. So he remains a bit of an enigma. Uh, With the top wings in Vegas pretty well set, he needs to take all the advantage he can of any opportunity to become fantasy relevant. Uh, I definitely had my eye on him when Marchessault went down, um, but I was a little more patient uh, and didn't end up grabbing him for some of his slow performances. Yeah, I think it's a it's obviously a bummer for Tuck, though. In Vegas, where you have a third-line center as, as talented as Paul Stastny, I think you could do a lot worse. But yeah, for now, I think that Vegas is kind of back to that spot that they were earlier in the year, where it's not really... A lot of streaming options there. The top six is very, very settled in. Chandler Stevenson remains an interesting add right now while he's playing between Pacioretty and Mark Stone. But overall, not a ton changes over in Vegas, as opposed to, I think, maybe in in Pittsburgh, where, you know, Sidney Crosby's return is changing the orbit of, of the uh, metropolitan Pittsburgh area. Yeah, just kind of a uh, return to the status quo in Vegas. Coming down off the outchery section, we have to get into a couple of sadder injuries. First of all, I think this is the big one. Morgan Riley was announced today. We'll miss the next eight weeks at a minimum with a fractured foot. I am assuming that this injury is just to cover up as some sort of witness protection type program after Connor McDavid ruined his life last week. Uh, a year ago, this would have been massive news in Toronto. and Who would have taken power play one? 
But Tyson Berry is pretty much neutered Riley's value on his own by stealing those minutes. The move did lead to Rasmus Sandin getting the call-up for the Leafs. He looked great in his first game back with the big club. Sandin scored two assists in third pair minutes. He also skated with the second unit on the power play, which is an interesting development. Lewis, are we into Rasmus Sandin for the next couple months? I think Sandin is worth keeping an eye on as we see how his deployment looks the next couple of weeks. I'm not super into him as a rush to grab to pick up. I think he is more interesting for the Toronto fans who have waited to kind of see him in action a little bit more than your average fantasy GM. Yeah, I mean, playing fewer than 17 minutes tonight, not a great look, but definitely I think that there is value in being on the Leafs. He's going to have some big games. I also wouldn't be shocked to see him lose that power play deployment when Jake Muzzin returns from his injury, hopefully not too far down the line here. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We have a couple of goalie injuries as well. We'll start in Philadelphia where Carter Hart left practice on Tuesday. Coach Vino said he felt something in his lower body during practice. Hart had played the entirety of Philly's come-from-behind shootout victory over the Bruins. This was, of course, the rare shootout game that will almost certainly be remembered by many after the whiff heard round the world by Brad Marchand. Uh, Alex Lyon called up, and an update is expected on Hart Wednesday. Lewis, what is your confidence level that Brian Elliott could be a useful starter if Hart were to miss a ton of games? Uh, last week, I called Carter Hart an average goalie on an average team. I think Brian Elliott at this point of his career might be a slightly below average goalie on an average team. That being said, if Hart is out for any significant period of time, I do think he might make an interesting add. But I would say uh, the interesting ads on the waiver wire at this time in the season seem to abound. Uh, so, you know, Brian Elliott compared to your Aaron Dells, uh, your Elvis Merzlikens, who, who shut out Boston today with 34 saves. You know, if there are any of those options still out there and available for you, I'd rather have them before Brian Elliott. I agree with you on Merzlikens. Hmm. Arendelle, though. Are we really buying into Arendelle, like, actually being good? He's been quite good over his last half dozen starts here. Uh, looks like they're tied up right now. I know it's hard to believe because the beginning of the season was so horrible for him, but it does seem like the coaching switch has changed things a little bit. I, I'm not saying that I believe that he's going to be a great starter for the rest of the year, but at least for the time being, uh, he is putting up good fantasy numbers. And I think you're missing out if he's sitting around on your waiver wire, you know, while in the meantime, some of these more supposedly reliable goalies are doing pretty poorly. Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, it's been about 15 games of pretty solid numbers from Aaron Dell. So I, I should give it up to him that at least he's on a heater right now. He's definitely worth more to me than Brian Elliott would be. But yeah, if you're desperate for a starter, I'm I'm not a I'm not above grabbing Brian Elliott in a pinch. Yeah, I think I think that's the way to look at him is if you need somebody, now you've got an opportunity. Uh, but there may be another waiver wire option who could be of interest to you who also played in that game against Carter Hart. I know this will be tough for you to talk about. Uh yes. Yeah, so Lewis, you've transitioned right into the injury that is very difficult for me as I own Tuka Rask in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. 
Scary sight in Columbus tonight. Rask started the game but left only minutes in after taking a pretty gratuitous blow from Emil Bermstrom. Since the game ended, Coach Cassidy has said that it was a concussion that Rask has suffered, which kind of scary for him. He's suffered at least two concussions since the beginning of the 2018 season, from what I could dig up in my research for this show. Coincidentally suffered one almost exactly a year ago after a collision in the crease following a Philly Heat goal. In the meantime, as long as Rask is out, Yaroslav Halak, Tier 1 goalie? I mean, it's tough because... If it, if you are just thinking about his performance this season and last kind of broadly, then yeah, it definitely seems that way. But he has had some shaky games as of late. It seems like not a great time for him to kind of be taking over the starting position just because, you know, they had that um, comeback game uh, on Monday night against Halak. And obviously he was defeated today. You know, even one goal would have been enough, obviously, with the way Merzlikens was playing, but he got beat for three today. Uh, obviously, coming in cold, playing most of the back-to-back, I think we can maybe excuse him, but um, a, a few concerning warning signs. Overall, though, I do think Halak makes a very appealing ad, certainly more than Brian Elliott. You know, this has been one of the stronger goalie tandems in the league the last couple years, and, you know, the amount of rest that he's gotten, he should be quite fresh and ready to go here, uh, taking on those number one duties for the time being. Boston, obviously a great team. They're going to win much more games than they lose. So if wins count a lot in your league, I would be running to the waiver wire to pick up Yaro Halak. Yeah, I'm very into Yaro Halak. My thinking is that Halak will be much less available than Brian Elliott. And as I look at these ownership rates, it is 55% owned for Yaro Halak, only 7% for Brian Elliott. So if you are in a shallow league, go out and get Yaro Halak now. I have obviously been enjoying the fact that he struggled recently as the Rask owner. I was thinking that this may lead to more Rask starts for me. Unfortunately, the Concussion means that he's almost certainly going to miss a few weeks of time here, hopefully not too much. And I think that Halak will have a chance to work out some of the kinks in his game. So I'm not afraid to add Yara Halak sitting at a 920 on the season and slated to get, you know, every game that Boston plays until Rask returns. As I mentioned, he did suffer an injury very soon. He suffered a concussion on January 19th, 2019. And returned just after the All-Star break, he said that the 10-day abs- absence for the Bruins, which included their bye week, was perfect timing for him. Hopefully it's a similar thing here, and he doesn't suffer any sort of after-effects of this concussion. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we wish him all the best. He's been uh, a really excellent uh, goalie when he's been in, for the most part, over the last couple seasons. All right, so Ben, I'm going to throw a handful of potential goalie ads at you, and I'm curious how you might rank them. Halak, Dell, Elliot, Merzlikens, and how about Talbot available out there? How would you rank those goalies from most appealing to least? Well, I think Halak is clearly the number one option here. No short-term competition and on an elite team. Uh, Merzlikens has shown he deserves a little bit of credit here, and he's going to get some run Corpusalo's injury taking place with the All-Star break coming up means that he'll get a little bit, he'll probably play a, a few games fewer than you would like from a fill-in, but I think that he may be the number two just because I, I think that he holds on to the spot the longest of the remaining four goaltenders. 
Um, for me, then, it's between Talbot and Dell. As I mentioned before, I'm just kind of skeptical about Aaron Dell, although he probably has less competition than Dave Riddick offers in Calgary. So maybe they're kind of a split field for me at this point, given that I trust Calgary to be a better team and therefore give Talbot more opportunities to win, whereas I don't see Martin Jones mounting an offensive and making a play for Dell's starts. I'm just kind of skeptical of his ability to... Uh, to hold, to maintain his current pace. But I have to give it up to him. Those The last 15 games have been so solid that, yeah, I'll, I'll lean Dell over Talbot and then in fifth place, Brian Elliott. As you say, a below-average goalie on an average team. All right. Sounds pretty good. That's some solid fantasy advice for our listeners there. I know goalie season, uh, especially towards the middle of the year, it gets pretty wild as we start to see you know, those risers establish themselves. Uh, some of the traditional good goalies, maybe the luster has worn off them a little bit. Lewis, we're heading into our final segment tonight, and I'm going to hand the keys over to you. You've got a couple of takes for me, and I am going to rate those takes. All right, so the idea here uh, that you brought up for us initially and that we're going to try to pursue is uh, we want to talk about who some players this year remind us of from previous seasons. So, you know, so-and-so is this year's, you know, player X. Uh, so I tried to find some uh, allegories here that I thought were effective. I'm interested to see what you think. I dove into the stats on some of them a little bit here. Uh, so let me know how you feel about these options as you rate these takes. Uh, my first take here is that Miko Rantanen is this year's 2016-17 TJ Oshie. Uh, the idea here is that they are both on crazy shooting percent benders, but I think that they're the type of player who can keep those shooting rates up uh, throughout the course of their whole season. Uh, and even though they may not reach these heights again in the future, uh, could provide their owners with a really nice fantasy season here, you know, as you might expect, obviously, from Miko Rantanen, a truly elite player. Uh, so I looked at Oshie's 2016-17 season. He played 68 games. Miko has played 29 games so far this season. Uh, so far, they have shot 23, uh, sorry, Oshie shot 23.8% uh, on 143 shots. Uh, Miko so far has a 21.13% shooting percentage on 71 shots. Uh, their individual expected goals versus their actual goals throughout the course of the season. And keep in mind, Oshi played uh, over twice as many games as Miko, so that'll account for some of the differences here. Uh, Oshi had an individual expected goals of 18.83 and ended up scoring 33 goals. Uh, Miko right now has a 7.4 individual expected goals, but has scored 15. Uh, so in both cases, you know, in the vicinity of twice as many goals scored as goals expected. Uh, Oshi paced for 110 individual high danger chances for over the course of his, uh, if he had played 82 games that season. Uh, Ranton is a little lower on that individual high danger chances pace. Uh, he's looking at one a game. And then where Miko really stands alone here is his power play shooting percent. Uh, he is at 28.57% shooting on the power play, whereas Oshi was only, and I say only with my air quotes here, at 18.92 uh, during that 
magical shooting season. He actually shot worse on the power play than he did uh, at even strength, which is pretty wild. Uh, so how do you feel about Miko Rantanen being cast as this year's 16-17 TJ Oshie? Well, I mean, my first thought is like, how are these two? I mean, that would be terrible if Miko Rantanen was the 2016-17 TJ Oshie because he'd be on pace for like 55 points, right? Are we? I, I've got to assume we're throwing assists out. Yeah, so I'm just thinking about in terms of finding someone, you know, I went through this looking for someone who was on just kind of a wild shooting pace to make some comparisons for. So, yeah, I think we're talking about in terms of, you know, shooting conversion here. Okay. Um, Well, if that's the case, I will say like 18% on the power play for TJ Oshie. That's not a bad mark. Like some people who play that spot on the power play are are definitely able to carry an 18 to 20%. I'm thinking of that like uh, that slots uh, that slot spot on the power play. A lot of goals are scored from there. Mark Shifley makes a ton of hay from that spot. So definitely, I, I think that that makes sense that he was about 18% on the power play. Obviously, the even strength shooting percentage is wild. Uh, Miko Rantanen, I see he's on pace right now for about a 40 goal season if he played the full year, which would definitely be on the high side. Overall, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing a 4% jump in his shooting percentage year over year. If he were to be shooting 16% as he did the previous two years so far, he would have 12 goals as opposed to 15. So 12 goals in 30 games would mean he's on pace for about 33 as opposed to 40. So yeah, I mean, I see Miko Rantanen being about a 7-goal fewer uh player than he has shown he is or that he's on pace for over a full season. TJ Oshie in that 2016-2017 season, shooting 23%, scored 33 goals. Yeah, I think that's probably about eight more than I would expect from him if he were to shoot, you know, 14, 15%. Uh, so he's on pace for, or he's his three-year average is around 17%. So I guess so. I, I'll agree with it if we're just saying specifically two guys who scored about eight to ten goals more than you would expect. But I, I don't know that I see it as the one-to-one. Like, if you if you told me, you know, in pitching this show... I'm going to do a segment where TJ Oshie has the same value as Miko Rantanen this year. I would have said, we need a new short shifts guy because <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, so I don't see it in that way, but definitely someone who's clearly outperforming their expected goals. Yeah. Exactly. That that's sort of the approach I'm taking. So not in all aspects. Obviously, you would want um, you know if someone came and said, "Oh, I think TJ and Miko are essentially equal. Let's trade." You would obviously take that Miko side. But uh, in this particular aspect, so maybe this take will will inspire something from you. I think in in we've actually gone back and forth on this one a little bit. So I have a feeling that you've got something to say here. Uh, take two. Tristan Jari is this year's Jordan Bennington, who was the 2017-18 Matt Murray, to whom Tristan Jari is currently Benningtoning. Is that circular enough for you? Uh, Jari, I'm talking about we've got uh, a backup for a good team seizing control of the job when the starter is underperforming uh, and becoming a waiver wire fantasy gem. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, the, there are two key differences, I think, between the two seasons. The one is just the timing, right? Like, Jordan Bennington came out of nowhere from the AHL 
in the middle of the season, I think in January, and just suddenly put together this run. Whereas Tristan Jari has kind of been up and down in Pittsburgh. He's played some games before, not exactly an unknown the same way that Bennington was. Um, and also made his ascent to the number one job much earlier in the season than Jordan Bennington did. Um, but overall, I think that that's a fair take. I think that that's a, you know, like a pretty lukewarm take, but not because it's incorrect, because it, because it is very correct. It's, it's not a hot take whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I think that Tristan Jarry, absolutely, when we're looking back on this season, he, you know, much like Jordan Biddington will be ranked very highly coming into the following season after, after that breakout, despite having been nowhere near anyone's radar. I remember when, um, what was his name? Uh, DeSmith? Was it DeSmith who got sent down? Or did Jari get sent down this year? Jari was the one who was down. So at the start of the year, it was DeSmith and Murray, which I think is why a lot of people felt like, uh, you know, Jari was a little bit more coming out of nowhere since he, he took over, uh, this job instead of DeSmith. But yeah, so I think in that way, maybe it has a few more similarities, but I see your point. You know, certainly it is much less of a who dat out of nowhere, uh, the way that, that Bennington certainly was. And, uh, they have not reached the heights that Bennington did last year, obviously. Not quite, but I, I, it's not like you'd be surprised to see this Pittsburgh Penguins team make a run with Jari as the starter. Yeah, so he's obviously been very nice. Although, you know, it's worth pointing out that he has let in three goals in his last several games. I think today there might have been, uh, you know, the, the, Penguins leapt out to such a big lead that there might have been some score effect elements in play here. They may have been laying back a little bit, uh, at least on the defensive side of things. But yeah, three goals allowed in the last several games. Not looking great, but continuing to rack up the wins. Obviously, that's what you want to see. Uh, if he keeps winning, it's going to make it difficult for Murray to reclaim his spot. And having Crosby back, obviously, is going to be... You know, if it can improve their their win loss, you know, their points percentage any more than it already has been in his absence, uh, you know, that's going to be helpful for Jerry as well. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned the three goals against in the last couple of games, still leading the league in save percentage. So uh, it's still a little early to, or I guess he's second to Anton Kudobin. Uh, among starters, still the number one, the only starter above nine thirty. Or I mean, he's sitting with a nine thirty. I'll give him an above nine thirty for that. Definitely been a very quality waiver wire ad. All right. So maybe not a ton of movement on that one. I think I've got a take that is going to elicit some response from you here. Uh, my third and final rate my take is the Nashville Predators are this year's St. Louis Blues. All right. Convince me. Here's my defense of this take. Now, I'm not sure I'm all the way there myself, but for the sake of our thought experiment, I'm going to go all the way here. So uh, I looked at the numbers of the Predators at the time of their coaching change. I looked at the Blues last year at the time that Mike Yo was fired. Uh, and just for fun, I took a look at the 15-16 Penguins as well uh, when Mike Sullivan took over. Uh, and obviously that turned the Penn season around and led them to a cup as well. Uh, so looking at these teams, here are some things that I noticed. Uh, at the time of the coaching change, um, both the Penguins and the Predators had managed a greater than, 
you know, uh, half of the available points percentage. Uh, so the Penguins were 15, 10, and 3. The Predators at the time of uh, LaViolette's firing were 19, 15, and 7. Uh, so not terrible numbers, but underperforming kind of where they expected to be. Of course, the Blues were down uh, doing very poorly, uh, 7, 9, and 3, with a .447 points percentage. Um Taking a look at the Corsi 4 percentage, looking at how they were able to control play, uh, by the end of the season, that Blues team was up to 51.7. The Preds right now are at 52.58, so outpacing that other side. Uh, All three teams had relatively similar Corsi 4 percentages, the Preds right now in their season and the Pens and the Blues at the end of the season after their big turnarounds. Uh, So I think that's a feather in the Preds cap that they already are, of the three teams, they have the best Corsi 4 percentage at this point in the season. Uh, They are shooting better than either the Pens or the Blues teams uh, at the Pens and Blues by the end of the year and the Preds at this point in the season. Uh, They are winning their goals for and expected goals for percentage. Uh, And in fact, the Preds are a little bit behind their expectations, so there might be some positive regression in that regard. They are, however, scoring more goals than expected. They have 149 goals on the season uh, when expected goals for us has them around 123.5. Uh, and they're also being scored on more than you would expect, as uh, is probably not a major surprise to anyone who has been following the goaltending woes of the Nashville Predators. They've allowed 142 goals when the expectation is closer to 110. Uh, so you can see why that uh, expected goals for percentage, uh, is uh, the actual goals for percentage is lagging a little bit behind. Uh, And you can see here, too, the even strength save percentage uh, is a big part of it. Uh, The Blues, by the end of the season of their reclamation project, were up to 913 at even strength. Uh, Preds right now are sitting at 908, and that's after significant improvements over the last few games. Uh, When I originally prepared this table a couple games ago, it was down at 889 at even strength. That's pretty nasty. Uh, So... Conclusions here, the Preds are already a pretty good team, uh, and while they're probably due for a little bit of negative offensive regression according to their expected goals numbers, they're also allowing more than uh, the expected goals against, so those may serve to sort of cancel each other out and just result in a little bit uh, lower scoring games on both ends of the ice. Uh, we talked last week about John Hines maybe making some incremental improvements on both ends, uh, maybe significantly on the offensive end, just because it seems like he's giving up less offense in order to be successful on defense. End of the end of the line here. I think the Preds are a better candidate than the Sharks or the Stars to pull a St. Louis from last year, make a coaching change after some early struggles, and make it to win the Stanley Cup. Mm. The Preds are definitely performing. So, I mean, they fit the profile a lot better than the Sharks or the the Stars. I mean, the Sharks are bad, but I, I wouldn't argue that they're underperforming, whereas the Stars were pretty solid under Jim Montgomery. They were getting good results, and they were they were doing pretty well in the standings after a bit of a slow start. So, yeah, I think that the they definitely fit the team profile, especially the part of the struggling goaltender in Jake Allen that the Blues were subjected to for the first few months of the 2019 season. The question is, do they have a Jordan Bennington on the on the team? And I'm not really sure that 
we should expect to see a goalie go on a run like Jordan Bennington did every single year. I do think UC Saros is in an interesting position here. No reason why he shouldn't steal a number of the starts moving forward. And I mean, Pecorine has obviously had a late career surge over the past couple of years ahead of this one. But as of right now, we're looking at two goalies below 900 save percentage, and it's tough to think that either one of them is going to be a Jordan Binnington. Like, you're not going to believe in a Jordan Binnington until the season's over, right? And then you're like, oh, snap, that that was it. It's It's difficult to see that coming. I mean, in this case, I can see the... I can see the thought process. I can see the numbers equaling in the first part. It's just the question of whether or not they'll get the performance that they need in the second part to elevate them into that position. So I do like UC Saros. I've believed in him before. I'm not sure that he can be that guy, but if he is, then my hat off to, is off to you, Lewis. Are you going to place a future Stanley Cup bet on the Nashville Predators? Well, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not much of a betting guy. Um, but it would certainly be fascinating to see this happen. I really want to watch the, the Preds over the next couple of weeks. One thing that we frequently see from coaching changes is that some of the biggest beneficiaries are the goalies. Uh, so I think that if we can, you know, I spent a lot of the start of the year railing about how if, uh, LA could get some decent goaltending. They would be winning a lot more games. I feel similarly about Nashville, but I also feel like the overall talent level there is much stronger. Um, so while no, I don't plan on going out to actually place a bet. Uh, I think that now would be an interesting time to make such a bet on the Preds when expectations are kind of low, but a potential turnaround is in the future. Uh, certainly not advising anyone to go out and do such a thing. I don't want to be responsible for your win or your loss. Um, but something I'm going to be keeping my eye on uh, as the season progresses. And I'm hoping for all the best for the Preds. I don't own a ton of them, but I think that uh, when they are good, the league is better for it. Obviously, it's a great atmosphere down there in Nashville uh, and great to see them be successful. So all the best to them and John Hines. So, Lewis, this segment is called Rate My Take. I am going to give you some ratings on these takes, starting with TJ Oshie of 17 is Miko Rantanen of this year. You know, you're, I, I'll give you the, the goals portion, but the goals portion to me on a fantasy show, that's only one third or, you know, one fourth of the picture. So I got to give that one about a three out of 10 for, uh, for Oshi is Rantanen. When it comes to Tristan Jari is Jordan Bennington is Matt Murray. That one is pretty defensible. It's not super hot. I think that we've already pretty much seen it. And especially, you know, having that AHL connection where they both started the year down in the A. That's pretty solid. I can give that one a eight. Uh, and then when we move into a Nashville is the St. Louis of this year. When I'm thinking about that one, the numbers are all there. Pre the, the before picture is identical, right? We're looking at two kind of schlubby fellas looking in the mirror, hoping for something better, hoping for someone to change some miracle product to change their lives. What is the likelihood that they get that miracle product, though? I think it's pretty low, but the numbers are so good, so I am going to give you a 7 on that one. Oh, all right. I, I'll be happy to take that one to the back. I think that's going to be a great one for us to sort of uh, follow as the year goes on, and we'll try and remember to, to update periodically uh, when we get something there. Awesome. Well, Lewis, we are out of time for another episode of Short Shifts. My name is Ben Burnett. I'm signing out of here. Lewis, take us home. 
All right, well, when we see you next Thursday, uh, keep an eye out for the return of the Patron 5. If you are interested in participating in our Patron Facebook group, uh, head to keepingcarlson.com slash patron to join up. You get access to patron casts, one of which uh, will be dropping live tomorrow night and coming out on the Keeping Carlson patron feed on Thursday morning. Uh, So that's always something fun to look out for. Brian and Elon answer every single question. They have never missed one. It's an incredible streak. Uh, additionally, you'll be part of our Facebook group and you can vote on the patron five. Uh, please give us a follow at AVG time on ice and at keeping Carlson. And until we see you again, play smart and keep your shifts short.